0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hello, OIS Podcast listeners. This is Tom Salemi, your host. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. We're going to talk a little med tech today. Uh, I had a chance to speak with Wolfgang Toll, he is the relatively new CEO of. Of Vision Care Ophthalmic Technologies. Uh, Wolfgang joined the company just under a year ago, uh, but he, of course, is no stranger to ophthalmology, uh, having spent time as CEO of Wavelight. And then when it was acquired by Alcon, spending time at Alcon. So he, uh, he brings a lot of commercial understanding to Vision Care at just the right time. Uh, Vision Care, of course, has been rolling out its uh, IMT. And uh, it's a device it's a it's an implantable miniature telescope IMT uh, that can help restore vision for patients with age-related uh, macular degeneration so it's really entering a, uh, a, a market in need of a therapy like this one uh, it's giving options not only to patients but to cataract surgeons and uh, Wolfgang is in vision care are, are have had success uh, with reimbursement uh, had success on the regulatory front a couple of years ago. Uh, the FDA expanded its use uh, for patients over 65. Previously, it had been just patients over 75. So things seem to be really uh, aligning for vision care, and Wolfgang can tell this story much better than I can. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Wolfgang Toll of Vision Care. Well, King Toll, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Vision Care is uh, one of those med tech companies that I've enjoyed covering for a time, and it and it's great to see uh, a device that uh, that can really uh, uh, help people with with uh, with late stage macular degeneration. I mean, there's so few options for them. You just joined the company last year. We're going to get into that transition in a few minutes, but why don't you just start off by by bringing everyone up to date on on the technology and sort of where you are in its commercial launch.
1: Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, Vision Care has its its main product, the so-called implantable manager telescope, or IMT. It's a surgically uh, implanted device to address end-stage AMD, and really it's both dry and and wet um, form of the disease. On the wet side, it has to be stable, so no injections for six months. But the device itself is FDA-approved, it's Medicare-reimbursed, and really addresses end-stage AMD. Um, As you know, when you have end-stage AMD, you lose your central vision. And what this device does is uh, it's a monovision concept. You implant the device into one eye, and uh, it magnifies the image. uh, In our case, a 2.7 magnification and um, displays the image then on the healthy part, on the remaining healthy part of the retina, because you have the central vision loss, you have scars or something like that, And then you have a magnification. So in this one eye, the patient sees up uh, much closer and these large scars essentially become very small, which means the patient can see again. And you do this in one eye and one eye only because um, you lose some peripheral vision and then the other eye acts pretty much for the periphery. So it's kind of a monovision concept, not too dissimilar from um, monovision, let's say with LASIK or anything else. And the brain then has to adjust to the new vision afterward.
0: And what what does the, the image look like? What does the vision look like? Is it, a, is it a complete picture, full color, the whole bit?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a full picture. Um, you know, you, you have uh, the macula is kind of, uh, it has a problem. You don't have any, any uh, central vision. And so you really have to imagine this whole image now being displayed on the remaining healthy part. And let's say if you look at something and you lose your central vision, you see maybe the periphery. Let's say you're looking at someone's uh, face or a group of people. You don't see anything in the middle. You see something on the on the periphery. And now this device is implanted in one eye and now you see it much closer. And now you can see the faces again. You can see uh, labels again. Um, and so that really makes a huge difference in this patient base. Uh, in our study um, which was a full PMA study, um, the um, the vision gain was on average four lines of vision which is of course significant but probably more importantly, um, the quality of life improves significantly in these patients. These patients as you know typically have to live with a loved one or a caregiver, they, they really stay home, they're often depressed. And after this implant, most of them really can see again in such a way that they can cook, they can see labels, they can read newspapers, yes, with glasses, uh, and they can have a complete change of life. And that's really the big difference. And our label actually does include both the vision gain and the and the improvement in quality of life.
0: It's obviously difficult to put a price on, on such freedom, but we have to put a price on everything these days in healthcare. <laughs> what, uh, what's the status of reimbursement? What are you... Being paid for?
1: Yeah, and in many ways, this is really uh, an important question because, in many ways, commercialization of this technology only starts now. The company has been around for a while. It took a long time to get DFD approval. We also had to do a uh, two year follow up. We actually now have five year follow up data, which is excellent. But only since last year did we have what I would call appropriate reimbursement uh, in place uh, in both hospital and ASC settings. Before 2015, we did not really have access to ESCs. And ASCs are so critical in in this industry, as you know, What 80 or 90% of cataract surgeries are performed in ASCs. So the average for 2016 now, uh, and this is average across the country, is about $18,000 reimbursement for this device and the device only. And then on top of that, you have an average uh, reimbursement for the surgeon fee of about $1,600. Of course, in urban areas, it's much higher. Um, so the way to look at this, I believe this is actually the second largest reimbursement in the uh, industry. Um so it's uh, it's pretty expensive, but it's fully reimbursed. And for the surgeon it's about two and a half to three times as much as a cataract surgery.
0: Fascinating. And and this is all Medicare, there's no, no private pay doesn't come into this because the population is is over sixty five?
1: Yeah, the label is uh, right now it's over 65. It used to be 75 and older. And now it's 65 years and older, and there's a certain visual acuity and a couple of other critical elements in the label. But it's very well aligned, obviously, with the Medicare population. Uh, but Medicare Advantage and others um, tend to also pay it. depends on the payer. But across Medicare, we really now have tremendous experience since 2015 that the Medicare reimbursement functions are very well across the entire country.
0: And that was the the 65. 65- In older as opposed to 75 and older. That approval came by only a couple of years ago. How how big of a change was that to the companies, the market size and the potential for the company?
1: Yeah, that's also a great question. It does, of course, um, uh, increase the market size for us uh, very nicely uh, overall, but I think much more critical was actually to have the access to the ASCs with appropriate reimbursement because before 2015, it was really just not profitable for any ASC to take on this uh, procedure. And now it's very, very appropriate for both AFCs and hospitals. In fact, we're in the unusual position that the reimbursement is almost the same in hospitals as well as AFCs because we have a permanent energy code um, for our device. Um, I should also say, by the way, that this is, in a way, a global market. This is not just the U.S. market. We're focusing on the U.S. market because we have all the things in place now. Yeah, you know, The approval, the you know, the reimbursement, um, the sales structure, and so on and so on. But... We also have the E-Mark Canadian approval and others, and we are commercializing OUS as well. Um, we actually just very recently, recently received our first reimbursement in the UK, so that's new for us as well. The market, the way we look at this, is since it's both dry and wet, of course on the website the stable form of it, um, is first of all, it's, um, it's a large market. The population we estimate that could benefit from this device in the United States alone is about 200,000 people. And the market grows by 10 percent per year, so it's very significant. In Europe, it's roughly the same. In Asia, because of the population, simply that's called China, India, and others is much much larger. But we don't have any activities yet. That's something for the future. So the market size is quite quite large Uh, overall. It's the it's the matter of capturing the and finding the patients overall.
0: And you mentioned you had long-term data of up to five years. That's that's terrific. What uh, what is that data showing?
1: Yeah, that was uh, published. Uh, I think about six months ago. Um, Dr. Boy and, and several others. So it was a peer-reviewed article, and the five-year data essentially shows that um, before implant, this is this comes directly from our study. Uh, before implant, the average uh, visual acuity was uh, 20 over 312. Um, the label, by the way, in the US is 20 over 160 to 20 over 800. In Europe it's much broader. Uh, it's 20 over 80 and also 55 years and older, but um, Uh, Baseline vision, uh, visual acuity was 20 over 312 across a little more than 200 patients overall. After one year, the visual acuity was 20 over 141, so that's essentially the four-line vision gain. After 24 months, it's 20 over 139 and after 60 months, 20 over 169. So what it shows uh, is that the visual acuity is essentially retained over the lifetime so far five years of the device in the eyes of these patients which is a you know, fantastic result
0: overall. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation with Wolfgang Toll to remind you to go to ois.net to register for the upcoming OIS at ASCRS. It's going to be May 5th in New Orleans. Now back to this conversation. Who are your target surgeons is the question. Is this something that every cataract surgeon is, is able to do, or, or are you focusing your efforts on really perhaps some lead KOLs in, in larger metropolitan areas?
1: No, well, this is something that we still have to work on but in essence, um, you have to envision this, uh, this surgery as not, not a totally complex surgery but it's certainly a little bit more complex than a cataract alone. The procedure for a new surgeon, never done it before, takes about an hour. For someone who's done, let's say, three devices, it takes on average about 45 minutes. We've also had cases of 30 minutes and that includes, by the way, performing cataract surgery during the time of surgery. Since the device, it's, this is a special sauce, it's a telescope, it's a completely enclosed system and has two Galilean lenses and airspace in between that actually provides the, the secret sauce and how the magnification works. It's essentially the size of an IL, but it's a little thicker than an IL. So um, the, um, the procedure itself um, is a little bit more complicated than, um, than a cataract surgery. So our, our prime target for now, uh, uh, let's say cornea-trained cataract surgeons, but there are plenty in the United States. I should say, though, that our Medicare reimbursement language has changed as of January one, and also now includes the uh, removal of an IOL, and not only the removal of financial lens. That does not mean I need to emphasize this very strongly. This is FDA approved. It is not. However, in context, we are now pursuing a certificate trial. Uh, probably at the end of Q two, we'll start that. So. And that means, and this is why I'm mentioning this, is that our retina surgeons will most likely also be interested in performing, performing this uh, the surgery in the future. So it's really cornea-trained cavernic surgeons today, but also in the future, then possibly retina surgeons also.
0: That's terrific. What, what will be required to get that uh,
1: that approval? Well, uh, we're talking a study of maybe 100, you know, maybe 250 patients over two years. Um, and it's really in many ways a surgical technique because the device is exactly the same. There's no change to the device. So we don't know yet. We still have to approach the FDA overall. We're writing the protocol as we speak. But well, we believe it's really about the search of the correct surgical technique for an eye to an IMT exchange.
0: And what has the, the appetite been for, for devices like these? We're seeing so, much, so many great new medtech technologies coming into ophthalmology lately, really vision-restoring kind of stuff like Second Sights, Argus, and et cetera, and, of course, all the the IOLs and such. What, uh, is there a real hunger for, for these sort of tools? Are you, what sort of responses are you getting from surgeons and, and from patients as well?
1: Yeah, well, uptake has been very very good in 2015. As I said, I think it was more of a commercial barrier uh, because of inappropriate Medicare reimbursement The technology worked. I think if you reach out to surgeons, the technology really works. It really helps the patients. We have a number of commercial implants now. I said, we're really starting commercialization in many ways uh, only now. But the, the technology really works commercially. So um, the barrier mostly was really on the uh, financial side overall. So the possibilities are really, really great overall for the uptake, and that's what we're working on. We do need more knowledge about the technology. We need more pubs and podiums. We have very good um, kLs attached already, but we need to get the word out much more um, in terms of actually helping these patients because it benefits so tremendously from this technology. I should say that we are the only FDA-approved device. There's nothing out there, especially on the dry-andy side. We don't know of any competition in the U.S. We don't know anyone filing. I guess you could make an argument that gene therapies and others might be a you know, so-called competition in the future, um, but we don't see anything in the very uh, a short-term or even medium-term in terms of potential competition. On the wet side, and I find this also very interesting, um, You know, as long as the disease is stable, for so no injections for six months, this device can be implanted but it's absolutely not competitive to the anti because once it's implanted and the the AMD may possibly get active again, you can actually inject behind it. So it's really continued disease stage management on the uh, on the website of this disease as well. Uh, it applies to both dry as well as, well as wet and on the website, it's continued disease stage management.
0: What's going on in, inside the company? You took over uh, a year ago as CEO. Uh... Go for Alan Hill. Uh, have you made changes uh, inside as the company sort of uh, evolves into much more of a commercial operation, or is is the company remaining the same inside, and you're merely merely building out a, a commercial side of it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was specifically hired to now drive the commercialization. My background is um, I was the CEO of Wavelight, so I know the industry quite well. Then Alcon took over. I ran Wavelight for a while. ran Alcon's business in a certain market for a long time, so I know the industry quite well. This was an orderly transition from the former CEOs who had been here almost 12 years, getting to the retirement stage, um, so it's a very orderly transition. And I've been here now about 10 months, in, in Q4 of 2014, I decided to completely restructure the sale, having a, you know, my arms around what we need to do. So I hired an industry veteran as a new VP of sales, and we've restructured territories and have a different way of approaching and targeting and commercializing now. So we're ready now in 2016, yeah. and we're going to take it from here.
0: What is your view of above with all the changes going on at the uh, the larger ophthalmic companies? Um, do you see this as an opportunity for a company like yours to really grow and, and fill any sort of uh, vacuum that might be created by those companies as they as they find their way with their new leadership, uh, or uh, are you just really just sticking to your knitting and 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 keeping your eye on on the road ahead of you?
1: Well, that's a super question. I mean, there's obviously a lot of change in the industry. We know that. Um, Having said that, uh, we are addressing a complete unmet medical need. There's nothing out there like it uh, in the U.S. for sure and global huge opportunity. So our pathway, and we're actually in the middle of uh, raising one more round of funding that will likely be the last one that gets us to profitability and cash flow positive. So we're going to build this company uh, on the commercial side and get the traction and, and build up the revenue overall. Pathways are really the, the usual ones, you know, possibly going public, that's a timing-related question and also the revenue is the right side. For a large strategic, I think this actually is a very uh, unique um, product um, because it is an unmet medical need. No one has anything like it. And in many ways, it's a plug and play. We have all the check marks in place. We you know, we have the global regulatory approval, whether it's the EMR or FDA or Canadian or others. We have the reimbursement check mark, it's all in place. Uh, we have uh, a large global market opportunity, which really only depends on re- getting reimbursements in various countries. It's a very profitable business model. Um, and so overall, this is a kind of plug and play for a strategic in the future, which should be very, very much of interest to them, depending on you know, the strategic view and how the product fits into a company, but also where they are overall.
0: Uh, Have you had conversations with larger companies, and and have any of them uh, invested in Vision Care in the
1: past? No, the company has been traditionally uh, uh, funded by uh, venture capitalists. Uh, We also have a a recently new owner. Um, um, So overall, uh, to my knowledge, there have been discussions uh, in the past uh, at times with with strategics. This is something that I want to drive forward and have those discussions in the future in a more uh, managed way. So I would certainly be interested to entertain those discussions uh, in the future. Um, but as I said, traditionally, so far, the, the investments either came from venture debt or venture capitalists, but no investments so far from strategic.
0: And last question, what uh, what's the syndicate look like for this new round that you're putting together? Will it be more just traditional VCs or will we some see potentially some interesting players in there?
1: Well, we're kind of in the middle of that. We just started, recently started the process after J.P. Morgan, so we're reaching out in a formalized way, actually, with, uh, with advisors. So we're reaching out and telling the story of where we are today and where we're going. So the syndicate is not in place. Uh, if there's anyone interested, I would love to know.
0: <laughs> Overall, you're seeing ophthalmology uh, uh, holding a lot of interest in investors. We've obviously seen some nice exits on the glaucoma space for medtech companies.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a difficult question. On the pharma side, generally, that's, that's that tends to be the, the the focus simply because of the potential there. I think the medtech, um, even though some companies are obviously in some going on, undergoing some change right now, will always be very interesting uh, area to invest in. And you know, if you look at the kind like Vision Care, where there's no competition uh, at all and addresses unmet medical need, I think that's a given that companies will need to do that.
0: Excellent. Well, I look forward to reporting on that financing when it's uh, finally closed. Make sure you give us a call. we <laughs> will do. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for your time today.
1: No, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Bye. Wolfgang Toll, thank you for joining us on the OIS podcast. Really enjoyed hearing the Vision Care's story. I love a good medtech story, and what what could be better than an implantable miniature telescope? Uh, Really, it's a a great advance for age-related macular degeneration patients and happy to see that things are going well at Vision Care. Hope to hear more of the story at OIS at ASCRS. Uh, Wolfgang will be there. You should be there as well. So go to OIS.net to register for the May 5th conference, OIS at ASCRS, and we'll see you in New Orleans.